heaven. I heard about a man who died and went to heaven, and he was standing before Peter at the old pearly gates, and Peter says, here's how this is going to work. Now, you need to get 100 points on your score to get into heaven, so I want you to tell me all of the good things that you have done in your life, and when you reach 100 points, you get in. The man was pretty confident in the things that he had done, and first of all, he said that he was married to the same woman for over 50 years, and he was always faithful, never cheated on her, loved her with all of his heart. And Peter said, that's pretty good, man. You get three points for that. And he sort of gasped and he said, three points, that's it? Okay. Uh, also, I attended church most of my life, supported the ministry with my tithes, and I was devoted to service. And Peter goes, hey, that's, uh, that's really good. You're getting, you're getting a lot better. Uh, you get one point for that. He goes, what? That's it? One point? And disbelief? Okay, um, how about this? Uh, I started a soup kitchen uh, in my hometown, and I worked in a shelter for the homeless, and uh, that's got to be worth some serious points. And Peter goes, hey, man, that is awesome. That's worth two points. And so the man just sort of was aghast and said, only two points? At this rate, the only way that I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. And Peter said, come on in, with a big smile on his face. Yes. Aren't you glad there isn't a point system in heaven? Yes. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for um, the fellowship that we share in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that is poured out on us. Uh, that thank you for your un, uh, unmerited favor. That, Lord, we stand um, in, in a place of forgiveness. We stand in a place of, um, of being whole spiritually that we stand in a place of your, your son and your daughter right now. And we look forward to that time when we'll see you face to face. Lord, let your word speak by your spirit. Um, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And we ask you to continue to um, grace us with your presence. And we know that you will because you covenanted, you covenanted with yourself that you would. And so we love you and we say, speak, Holy Spirit. Give us the energy and the understanding in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, and while you're doing that, uh, Monday uh, is my 18th wedding anniversary. It's the box, it's the box over there, I've been putting up with me for 18 years, and it has been glorious. So we're going to get away, now, now um, uh, Miss Jit was in the earlier service, and uh, she came up, and, and I don't have my bullet in front of me, she goes, we're celebrating 37 years. I'm like, dang, <laughs> I should have announced that too. So, you know, but hey, yeah, 18 years and going strong by God's grace and mercy. And uh, as I honor my wife, I honor her mother sitting next to her. Because I'm a recipient of all of those late night talks. And I tell you, there's a lot of times when my wife and I are talking, I say, you know what, honey, you need to call your mom. Because <laughs> uh, she's... <laughs> Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, we're going to conclude our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, comparing and contrasting, comparing and contrasting. We are fans of the inductive Bible study method, and one of the things that you do when you study God's Word in that capacity is you look for comparisons. Uh, just as this, then that, or like this, then that, because that teaches us something that we are to be like. Not only uh, comparisons, but contrast as well. Uh, you not often see a contrast by the word but. 
Uh, Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's contrasting that which was of the past and what he's about to do now. Uh, you hear those contrasts all the time in the scriptures. Um, and so Jesus speaks about contrast a lot. Two sons, uh, the, the prudent and the foolish virgins. Uh, in the parable of the talents, he's contrasting uh, two different kinds of servants, the faithful and the evil slave, the rich man and Lazarus, the Pharisee and the tax gatherer, the new wine and old wine skins. Uh, it was predicted in the Old Testament that this Messiah, when he would come, would speak in parables or speak in stories, and he would speak to a culture uh, that, um, uh, that gathered information and was taught and learned using stories. Sometimes in the Western culture, when we use stories, it's sort of looked down upon as really not intellectual. But in this culture, and even in a lot of Eastern cultures today, if you want to share the gospel effectively, you're not going to come with doctrine first. You'll come with stories first. If you want to be a missionary to Easterners, you better learn how to, how to contextualize the gospel in the context of stories, because that's what they listen to. Okay, And that's what Jesus did. He not only spoke their language um, that, that they spoke, Hebrew and Aramaic, but he, he spoke where they lived. And Jesus did this for a number of reasons. One is to cause people to think about the two different options. Uh, 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 am I like the prodigal son uh, who, who squandered my father's inheritance? And, or am I like the, uh, the legalistic, harsh brother who stayed at home and was not even happy when the son came back? Am I like the foolish virgins that, that didn't bring enough oil so that when the bridegroom came, they, they couldn't light their lamps and go with them? Or am I like the prudent or the wise virgins that, that trimmed their wicks and brought extra oil so that when the bridegroom came, that they would be ready to go? And you know what? A lot of times when Jesus gave these parables, he didn't give the answer. You know, sometimes the Lord would speak clearly what the answer is, but sometimes he wouldn't give the answer. And that is so that people wouldn't walk away maybe feeling judged, but they'd walk away thinking. And it's a good counselor who doesn't give you all the answers, but it's a good counselor who can ask questions and maybe even use comparisons or contrast to get you to walk away and say, okay, which one am I and how should I respond to this? Okay? So in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord has already contrasted heartfelt prayer versus that of the hypocrites. He's contrasted fasting with the right motives versus the fasting of the hypocrites that were fasting so that they would receive the praise of men. He's contrasted two different masters, and he said that, you know what, you cannot serve both God and money. It's one or the other, not both. And so in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about uh, these contrasts, and he contrasts two gates, two trees, and two builders. Two gates, two trees, and two builders. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Two gates, or if you would, two ways of life. And he says, and let's read verse 12 just to get a little bit of context. He says, therefore, however... Uh, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. And last week we talked about what's called the golden rule, and we talked about how that needs to, 
to um, uh, pervade every area of our lives, that we should constantly be thinking about how we should uh, respond to others in the way that we would want to be responded to. And I just, a little show of hand, this week, was there any time this week when, when the Holy Spirit brought that scripture up where you were maybe about to do something and the Holy Spirit, oh, you wouldn't want that done to you and maybe you did it different. Anybody at all? Any, there's a couple. I see, yes, I see hands all over the place. God bless you. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Right there. Yes, ma'am. God sees your hand. No, I'm just kidding, right? Yeah, you see <laughs> that. Little things like parking spots and, um, you know, in line in the grocery store. You know, when you got a big old basket full and the, and the lady in front of you, the senior citizen in front of you has a tomato and the cashier says, oh, I'm open on Lyle 7. You're like, you know, oh, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Because that's what I would want. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Verse 13. Sorry. I digress. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Do you see the contrast between a narrow gate and a broad way? Between a small gate that leads to life, and few that are on it, and a broad gate that is loaded with people. Okay, you see the two. Okay, entrance into the kingdom of God is limited to those who go through Jesus only. That's it. And that's not a new concept. In the book of Genesis, you know, the, the uh, uh, Noah's Ark had one door, and that was a picture of Jesus Christ who would be the one way to God. There was, there was one way for salvation uh, when, when, uh, with Noah's Ark and when the flood came. There was the only way of salvation, and there was only one entrance for salvation. And if you didn't go, if you said, well, I just don't believe in rain because it hadn't rained yet. Uh, if I just don't believe that there's, I mean, if, if you knew that, that God was pouring out his wrath and the entire earth would be flooded and someone said to you, get on the ark and you can save your life, I don't think you would say, well, is there any other way? That's kind of narrow and constricting. I mean, are there any other boats around here? Well, what makes Noah think he's the only way uh, to salvation? Dude, it's about to rain. Either get on the boat, and here's the thing, when the door closes, we ain't opening it anymore. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark and every pound of the hammer was a witness to the people that destruction is coming and destruction is coming. You need to get on this. And you know what? No one did, just he and his family. Eight people. That's it. Uh, that's it. Just eight people. Um, interestingly, one of the Chinese, the, the Chinese characters uh, for, um, let me see if I have this right now. I knew this would happen. It's a Chinese character for, I think it's, is it, is it, is it boat? Or, or, or it's, it's a combination of two characters. I'm looking at you. Maybe you can help me, Miss Oak. One is the, is the character for the number eight, and the other is, is the character for boat. And, 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 the, and why that? Because eight people were saved on the ark. That's interesting. There's all kinds of things like that in, in Chinese calligraphy. Anyway, uh, I'll check on that and give you a reference later in case that wasn't quite correct. Um, and so there was only one way, and when it was closed, that was it. 
And that was all a preview of Jesus Christ. In the most holy place of the temple and the tabernacle, there was only one entrance by one man of a particular family and a particular tribe who could go there once a year. There were not multiple entrances into the most holy place. Now, there are those who believe that there are multiple ways to get to God. John Hick uh, writes on this, and um, he believes that every religion has something to, to bring. Uh, that's called pluralism that says basically all roads lead to God. He said, and he gets the, the enormity of what Jesus says about himself, if Jesus was literally God, if he was God incarnate, the second person of the Holy Trinity, living in a human life, so that the Christian religion was founded by God on earth personally, if that's true, then it would be very hard to escape that traditional view that all mankind must be converted to the Christian faith. But I don't believe that. So therefore, it's not true that God is the only way. That's his belief. And the rest of his book, God Has Many Names, is the name of the book. The rest of his book explains why he believes that. There's a New Age children's book called What is God? This is what it says. There are many ways to talk about God. Does that mean that everything and everybody uh, that everybody ever says about God is right? Does that mean that God is everything? Yes. God is everything great and small. God is everything far away and near. God is everything bright and dark. And God is everything in between. If everything is God, God is the last leaf on a tree. If everything is God, God is an elephant crashing through the jungle. That's called pantheism. That everything is God. Uh, Shirley MacLaine would look out at the ocean and say, The ocean is God, and so am I. I would suggest you don't go since you are God swimming in that ocean for too long. Okay? Now, what do we do when those different views contradict one another? Rabbi Zacharias, a Christian apologist, says that it's more logical to believe that all religions are false than it is to believe that all religions are true. Now, here's the other thing. Jesus said that he was the only way. This is not something that's handed down by tradition. This is not something that was part of a religious system or even a cultural belief. Jesus said it. He said it. He said that there's forgiveness in no other name, that he was the only one who could satisfy the righteous demands of God's requirement for perfection, that his sacrifice is the only one that's acceptable to God, and that if someone would disagree with the exclusiveness of Jesus, then you must take it up with him. This is not something we dreamed up. This is not something we, we sort of figured out and we sort of said, you know, let's hold people captive into our religious system by telling them that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven and if you don't go that way you'll go to hell for all eternity and therefore simple minds will continue to stay in our belief system no he said that and so if you disagree with that you would disagree with Jesus Christ now let me ask this question you really want to wager your eternity that Jesus is not who he said that he is uh, is, is he lying about that? Do you really want to believe that the Bible has been corrupted? Uh, do you, do you uh, uh, really think that, that, that when Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that he either didn't mean it or that someone else added that? Do you really believe 
that what, what he said is not true or that he didn't mean that. And, and think about that carefully because how you decide that question will, eter- will determine your eternity. This is not a small thing or a light thing. Okay? This is something to seriously ponder and say, okay, is Jesus who he said he was and is he who he said he is? And if he isn't, what am I going to do if by chance I see him face to face one day having known what, I know to, what I've known about him and what I've heard about him even this day and, and to see him face to face and say, you know, I heard you were the only way to heaven, but I just couldn't. There were so many. I believe there were other ways. I, I, you know, what will you say? Luke chapter 13, verse 22, flip in your Bibles there, keep your finger in Matthew. Jesus went through the towns and villages, it says in verse 22, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Verse 23 of Luke 13, someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And the Amplified says, rescued, delivered from the penalties of the last judgment and made partakers of the salvation by Christ. He replied, Work hard, that is, force yourself through it to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter but fail. Jesus said many people will try to enter but will fail. Verse 25, when the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. Now here is Jesus' response to these people who knew of him but did not know him. They, They knew of him but they did not know him. He will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Verse 26, then you will say, listen to their reasoning of why he should open the door for them, but we ate and drank with you. And you taught in our streets. And I will, and he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east and west and north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. Woo! These people are saying, no, Jesus, you came to our block. You, you, we, you taught us. You, we, we visited your church. We, we heard about the, no, no, we went to church on Sundays and Jesus said, he would say, you know what strange thing? I know all things, but I don't know you. That's the most important question you'll ever ask yourself. Church attendance ain't going to get it done, folks. It's great that you're here. I'm thankful you're here. Doing good deeds isn't going to get it done. There's a multitude of people that do good deeds and believe those good deeds will get them into heaven. Do you know Jesus? Don't answer. Most of you probably do. But some here may not. And the way that God designed it is probably the only way that he could have designed it 
and that only Jesus can offer salvation because his requirement is perfection, which none of us are. There's a book called Jesus Among Other Gods by Rabbi Zacharias. I highly recommend it. Jesus Among Other Gods. And it compares and contrasts the character of Buddha, Muhammad, Krishna, with Jesus, as well as others. And just on face value, just the character of those men compared to Jesus is enough for you to believe that he was more than just a mere man. Do you know him? And maybe the bigger question is, does he know you? He says, there will be people who will come to me on that day and they'll talk about all the things. I did, sorry, I don't know you. I don't know you. See, I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if your auntie is a deacon, a deaconess at the church down the street. I don't care if you, if you, if you give and if you serve. That, that's, got, that's, that's good, but that's irrelevant. Does he know you? And I felt led last night that, you know what, we're going to take some time right now and we want to settle that issue. I remember someone was just talking the other day, or just today, we're talking about Mario Murillo. He's a, is a, is an evangelist, and, uh, and I remember that day. I remember that day, brother, like it, was, like it was just five years ago or ten years ago. It was a long time ago when, when, when he came and he preached the message. Man, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I settled the issue. I settled it then, and I praise God for that. It's not because I'm any better than anyone else. It's because of what God did. He was already working in my heart, and then he opened up my eyes. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that right now before we go on, before we finish the Sermon on the Mount. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we, that we pray and, and, and we, we, we submit our hearts to you. And Lord, Lord, we believe that your Holy Spirit has been working in hearts and in minds and, and challenging people to draw near to you, not with our lips, but with our hearts. And Lord, if you've been doing that, just like you've done in so many people here, like you did in my life, I remember the day. I have, I have a cassette tape of the message. I remember it. That when I responded, and, and, and Lord, that maybe today you would have so worked in people's hearts that someone today would say, you know what, I need that. No, no, seriously, I need that. No joke. Just like in the earlier service where a man, a man just in the back just raised his hand and said, I've been doubting my faith. I've been struggling. And, and yes, Lord, you confirmed it today in his life and in his heart. And maybe you do that now. Well, we just want to give that opportunity for anybody here. And if that is you and you just, you, this is resonating in your heart. It's not that, well, boy, that was, you know, what those words, no, it was something deeper than that. It was God, the Spirit of God who's been calling you and wooing you and saying you need to commit, not halfway, but all the way. And, and, and your heart is bearing witness with that. You're in, you're in agreement saying, yes, I need that. I want to be sure, not just for fire insurance, but I want to give my heart and my life to the Lord. And, and if that's you... Would you raise your hand right where you are? Don't worry about what anyone thinks. Don't worry about people who might think, that person, I thought they were already a Christian. It's between you and God. But I just want to give you a moment to say, yes, Lord, that's me. I need it. And I'm not ashamed to just raise my hand and say, God, yes, I, I need that. Anybody at all who would say that? Anybody at all? Don't be shy. Is, is that you? Is that your heart? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're a soldier, man. You're a soldier for the Lord. 100%. 100%. Anyone else who might think, man, I need that in my life. I talked to a man recently who just, 
who said, this 70-year-old, 80-year-old, don't know how old he was, and he said, well, I've done some things when I was a kid, and I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I said, sir, it is not about what you've done, but who you know. Do you know Jesus? Is there anyone else who would say, yeah, I, I got I got I'm in, I'm in. There might be a struggle in your heart right now. That's a good thing. Anybody at all? I want to give you that chance right here. All right. All right, yes. God sees your heart, sister. God knows your heart. Amen. Father God, that you would bring life into these dead bodies. Bring your spirit into our hearts and our minds, God. And confirm your will and your work as these repent and confess and turn to you. And Lord, if there's someone here who's, who's right on the edge, Holy Spirit, we know you'll push them right over just like you did us. And we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, be glorified in our midst. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 I felt strongly to do that today. We have to get down to business, folks. We can't be messing around with God. We got to be serious. I mean, we're all about having a good time in the Lord. But when it comes to this, we got to be serious. This ain't no joke. We'll see. We'll see. Back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. And so he's talked about two ways of life or two gates. And now he's going to uh, uh, talk about these false prophets. And he says in verse 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And, you know, we're sheep. So, you know, we, we, they would look just like us is what that means. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears fruit, a good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Ah. Now, chapter 7, verse 1 says, Do not judge lest ye be judged. And we talked about how that's kind of a harsh, critical, condemning kind of judgment. Well, you know, that person, they, da, 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 ooh, don't make a judgment call like that on another believer. That's not what he's saying here. So we talked about how we're not to judge others, but we are to inspect fruit. Yeah, we're called to be fruit inspectors. Right? Um, we're to judge the fruit of false prophets. And Jesus says, beware, they come to you in sheep's clothing. Hey, they look just like us. Yeah, maybe they even sound just like us. Maybe they even use similar terms in what we use. But he says, you know what? On the outside, they look like sheep. But on the inside, they're ravenous wolves. It's one thing to be a wolf. It's another thing to be a hungry wolf. Now, you have two different kinds of false prophets. You have false prophets from within. They use our Bible. They believe our main core tenets of Christianity. But they're false prophets. They prophesy things that God has not said. They produce miracles that God has not produced. And, and, and they look great on the outside. And sometimes large crowds of people will come to hear them. But they're false teachers and false prophets. Adam Clark said this, Teachers who preach for hire, having no motive to enter into the ministry but to get a living, as it is ominously called by some. However, they may bear the garb and appearance of the innocent, useful sheep, 
The true pastors commissioned by the Lord Jesus or to whatever name, class, or party they may belong are in the sight of the heart-searching God, no other than ravenous wolves whose design is to feed themselves with the fat and clothe themselves with the fleece and thus ruin instead of save the flock. False, false prophets they are. You have false prophets within, you have false prophets without. These are those who use a different Bible than what we use, who don't believe the main beliefs that we believe. These are ones who say, yes, Jesus is one way to heaven, but there are other ways as well. What makes you think that you have the right to? The, you know, all truths are relevant. Hey, that's, false. that's a false prophet. So how will we know these false prophets? First of all, you better know your word. You better know your word. Paul exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Yes, all Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true. If you want to discern from truth and error, you need to know the truth. You need to know this book so that you can discern the two. And here's so many people get, get, get snatched up into these false prophetic religious systems because they don't know their word. Man, they've been to church, but they've always relied on regurgitated truth, not their own truth. They haven't plumbed the depths of God's word. And so someone comes and knocks on their door and says, we're Latter-day Reform, Seventh, whatever it is. And you go, well, you people seem to be okay. And you people seem to know what you're talking about. And they know how to answer all your questions. And by the way, the pastor dude couldn't answer your questions and so these people seem to have and then they tell you there's a family night and we're big on this and you go this seems good until you understand they believe in a different gospel than what you believe in but if you haven't been in this book you won't know that and multitudes of people who were church going people get sucked up into these things because they don't know their word for themselves hey listen if you're depending on someone else to tell you what the word of God says then you know what those days are long gone <laughs> that's like having someone else work out for you <laughs> all right man do another 30 let's go Woo, I'm feeling it now wait a minute you're standing on the side like you ain't doing nothing yeah try that right <laughs> you get no points for that second Timothy 2 uh, 4 2 through 4 Paul says Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable. Whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Whether it's welcome or unwelcome. You as a preacher of the word are to show people uh, in, uh, in, in what way their lives are wrong. Convince them. Rebuking, correcting, warning and urging and encouraging them. Being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. See, that's a true prophet right there. It's a true teacher of the word. And then Paul explains why. For the time is coming. This was written, what, uh, almost 2,000 years ago? And Paul says, the time is coming when people will not tolerate or endure sound and wholesome instruction. But having itching, having ears itching uh, for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another, to a considerable number chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors they hold. 
And they will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into, look at what he says, myths and man-made fictions. Why do they turn aside? Why do they wander away? Uh, uh, because you know what? They, they're, they're hearing things that they want to hear. Hey, listen, if you want a religion that's, ple that's pleasant, if you want a religion that keeps you healthy, if you want a religion that always makes you wealthy, there's a whole lot of that out there. And people will heap that to themselves because it's self-serving and self-gratifying. And if anything we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount, it is not about me. <laughs> and it's not about you. It's about serving and sacrifice for Him. That is not a popular message. And when you talk about service and sacrifice and giving and loving your, uh, your, your enemies, which could be your neighbors, and, and, and forgiving other people, man, sometimes that room gets real, real small. When you want to talk about prosperity, you want to talk about blessing and stepping into your inheritance and give a positive you know, self-help message, the room will be packed. Because people heap to themselves teachers that tell them what their itching ears want to hear, Paul says. And so the Lord says we know them by their fruit. By their fruit. You know, we have a garden at our house, and we try to keep track of what we plant, but we have children. And they sometimes plant things, and we don't know what it is. Uh, there's a, there's a, oh, what's it called? There's a, there's a herb that's dangerous, and it somehow showed up in our garden. And this is when I first started gardening. Oh, what is it? I'll think of it. I, and I, and it's, it's, a, it's a, like a sharp, poisonous thing, right? And I, I didn't know what it was. And I thought, what is some sort of green, a collard green? I don't know what this is, right? And so I, I took a little piece off, and I noticed that my finger kind of felt like I was getting pricked. Now, stinging nettle, that's what it is. Stinging nettle. And I thought, well, this is interesting. It doesn't smell like thing. Took a little bit in my mouth, and it felt, oh, that was dumb, right? It's like, what's wrong with you, boy? Like, I would know better. I'm like, it feels like someone's sticking me in my tongue. Not stinging nettle, boy. I mean, how did that get in my garden? Right? You want to judge an herb by its fruit, right? Don't taste it, though. You, you want to you judge a tree or we get things to grow? We don't know what it is. Like, I'll let it grow. We'll find out real quick if it's a weed or not. Right? By their fruit. This is the beauty of studying other religions that believe they have the way to God. You study their founders, study their lives. You can't hide that. People want to disassociate themselves from false prophecy. Well, we never predicted the end of the world. Sure you did, seven times. No, we didn't. Oh, yeah, you did. You can't change what's true. We can look it up. <laughs> See, a lot of these religious leaders didn't know that, that the Internet would be here. <laughs> and we could be all up in their stuff. Like last night, man, I was all up in J.D. Rutherford's stuff, the, the president, former president of the Watchtower Society, a.k.a. Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, he never knew that the Internet would be available. I was all up in it, right? Here's what it says. Speaking of false prophets and false religious groups, I'm not trying to hate. I'm just judging the fruit. To wit, this is San Diego County Recorder. All right, this is public documentation about a home that they had called Beth Sarim in San Diego during the Depression, a multi-million dollar property. Here's what it says about it. To wit, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, until such time as the aforementioned persons return and identify themselves to the legal representatives of the said Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, 
and by the constant consent of said society, take possession and control of said premises. The president, J.D. Rutherford, of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society shall have the right and be duty-bound to direct the management uh, and use of said premises hereby conveyed and to determine who shall be in possession and have the active management thereof. Translation, he was living large in San Diego during the Depression. Not judging, I'm just saying, my question is, did Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel ever show up? I don't, I'm not trying to make a funny. I mean, I know it's, a, it's kind of, I'm not. Because there, there are multitudes and multitudes of people that get sucked up into this religious, I'm not hating. I'm not hating people, but a, a, a belief system that is false and by droves people enter in so so it, it i'm not trying to make it funny because i because that would not be right the, t to some people this is their life and it's all they know a and we need to pray for those people and be willing to engage them in truth for as long as it takes feel that feel that Hey, listen, when I was in junior high, my best friend was a Jehovah's Witness. I was searching for God, didn't even know it. And I tell you what, I was going to Bible studies once or twice a week. I went to the Kingdom Hall once and watched the elements, the, the bread and the wine get passed because you can't partake of it because you're not worthy. Only the 144,000 who are going to heaven, which you are not one of them. And so when we have communion, we partake, but I couldn't partake. And I passed it and went, whoa, passed it right on. Nobody in the room took of it. And I tell you what, we moved to the other side of town. If we hadn't moved to the other side of town, you know what? God would have had to deliver me from that because I would have got sucked right in. So I have compassion for these people because when you're searching for God, these people come around and they will bring you right in. And before you know it, you're in a spider web. So what's the fruit of false prophets? Four things, write this down. You want to know if someone's a false prophet? They always add to the word of God. Always. They always add to the word of God. Well, I know you have the Bible, but you have to have our book too. What? Wait a minute. Well, see, your Bible hasn't been translated correctly. We have the correct translation. What? They add to the word of God. Well, listen, you've got to become one of us. If you're not one of us, you're not going to make it to heaven, celestial kingdom, thousand-year millennial reign, whatever you want to call it, paradise on earth. You're not going to make it. Oh, really? Oh, so they add to the word. Not only that, they subtract from the Trinity. You want to know where somebody stands? Just say, is Jesus Christ God? And that will separate a lot of falseness from a lot of truth. Well, we believe he's a man who became a god. Eh. We believe he's an angel. Michael the archangel. Eh. Okay, we can separate that. That's not true. They multiply the requirements of salvation. It's not grace through faith. There's more that you have to do. And nobody knows if they're going to heaven or not. That's why they work so hard. And they work and they work and they work. And maybe they have a shot at salvation. And they divide the body of Christ. They divide the body of Christ. And not only that, they divide you. And they separate you from your friends it's very subtle. They separate you from even loved ones, and pretty soon you have no one but them. And if you leave them, you've got no one. And if you leave them, you're not going to heaven, celestial kingdom, paradise, earth, whatever you want to call it. You're not going there, and you get sucked in. 
This ain't no joke. Listen to what Jesus says. Their destiny is this. Um, verse 17. I'm ahead of myself. Verse 19. Um, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's, that's serious. Verse 21 through 23, not everyone. So now, now, now he's shifting from false teachers to people. These are not anyone who necessarily is a false prophet. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now see, uh, uh, never... you. you the Lord who knows all things says, you know what, never knew you. Uh, we know how to spot false prophets, but sometimes there are people who claim to be Christian who are faking it too. And, and he says this is what they will say to him, that Jesus is the one we must stand for in the final day of judgment. Not just by what we say, because they're saying, Lord, Lord, Adonai, Adonai, Master, Owner. They're saying the right thing. But what they do and why they do it. One who does the will of God. They had impressive works. They prophesied in the name of the Lord. They cast out demons. And they performed miracles. He never knew them, but they did these things. He doesn't come back and say, no, 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 you didn't do that. Uh, you, you, that's not what you did. No, they, they, they did. You know what? Sometimes miracles are done through fake Christians. Sometimes miracles are done through fake Christians. That's what Jesus said. These people would do miracles in his name. And you know what? In the final analysis, miracles prove nothing. In the final analysis. Oh, they're good, but they prove nothing. But in the end, in the end, the deception will be so great, there'll be this satanic warfare, this, the, the antichrist and the false prophet, they'll be doing miracles upon miracles and deceiving the nations because of their power. So much so that the Antichrist even raises from the dead in copying the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Satan can do miracles too. He can. And they did it in Jesus' name. Spurgeon said this, if preaching could save a man, Judas would not have been damned. If prophesying could save a man, Balaam would not have been a castaway. That's serious. People who will come to him on that day and say, Lord, I went to church. Lord, I helped out at the soup kitchen. Lord, I gave from time to time. And he will say, I never knew you. You gave for the, what is, the Sermon on the Mount is all about our heart. It's like you gave thinking you would score points with me. You thought it was a point system. It's not a point system. I was after your heart the whole, you never gave me your heart. You can do all of these things, but never give your heart to the Lord. And I can't judge that. Only the Lord can. Don't, don't leave earth without having done that. Ah, well, verse 23, I never knew you. 
Salvation is more than a verbal confession. It's more than spiritual works, but knowing Jesus and being known by him. Our connection to him is a gift of faith that he gives. Clark says this, What a terrible word! What a dreadful separation! Depart from me, from the very Jesus whom you have proclaimed in union, whom alone eternal life is to be found. For united in Christ, all is heaven. Separated from him, all is hell. <clears throat> Let's finish up verse 24. Contrasting two different builders. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts, everybody say acts, acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. See, Jesus finishes up this amazing sermon and says it's all about the foundation that you build on. Build it on sand, it's going to shift. Every once in a while you hear about in our valley some uh, 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 over... Uh, exuberant builder builds on some property that's not settled and you have shifting and things and they didn't do their homework they cut some corners and pretty soon it's massive lawsuits right because it wasn't built on a solid foundation and guess what the rains the floods and the winds they're going to come amen there's going to be times of rain and and storms and and, and thunder boomies and all that stuff in our lives. Those things are going to come. But Jesus says, you know what? If you're built on that solid rock. Yeah, no, no, no. The rock isn't the church. Even though if our name was the rock, we wouldn't be the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. It's not our religious affiliation. It's not, it's not, it, it is, G, and, and we build on that foundation. And that house will withstand all of the deals and all the trials of life. Jesus concludes this amazing sermon in verse 28 and he says it says the result was that when Jesus had finished these words the multitudes were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority not as their scribes I don't know if Jesus took a step back and, and you know the people are remember at first he was speaking to his disciples and, and and then there's a huge amount of people that he's speaking to and 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 after they hear his words they're amazed these are life-changing we've never heard anybody like this listen to these words Th these words have cut to our heart they've challenged us and 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 and, and filtered out the religiosity that says he's, he's brought it to a whole nother level. I'm so far from God. There's, there's no way we can live this out. And Jesus goes, amen, there's no way. It's a high and lofty standard and you're not perfect, so that's one strike against you. That's really three strikes, you're out. You can't do it. So we trust in him. It's not our righteousness. Uh, we depend on the spirit of God to bring these things to light, you know, like doing to others as you'd have them. No, let them have that parking spot. We'll get another one because they probably need it, you know. We, we do one to, then it, it, it prevails in every area of our life. And we're not saved by it, but someone who is saved lives this way. Someone who is saved lives this way. And they were all amazed. And you know what? When we read this, I think that's 
our response. I think the only legitimate response is to be amazed and go, wow, wow. Praise God that my sins are forgiven. Praise God that he knows me. And it's not that I first knew him, that in eternity past, he knew me before I was yet formed in my mother's womb. He knew me and he appointed me and he called me back then. Such love is too hard to pass up. Don't do it. Don't do it. I want to say that if I in any way made light of any religious systems, I want to repeat this as not my intention. It's easy to laugh at those or make jokes about those who disagree with us. And, and I don't mean to do that at all. If I seem like I am, I'm not. And I'm not trying to get anybody fired up against some other religious system. But we need to be diligent and we need to speak the truth in love. But we got to know what this book says so we can do that. Because anyone who is trapped in a religious system just like me who was not trapped in a religious system, but trapped in my own world, it's the same thing. And only the Spirit of God can free us from that. Only the Spirit of God. So we stand on a level playing field. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Be glorified in our midst. Let your word speak to us throughout the week. Give us compassion for those who don't know you, God, and fill our hearts with thankfulness because we are grateful that that we are known by you, that our name is in your book. We love you, God. Uh, we thank you for this amazing teaching. It's just powerful. Let it pervade and prevail in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Have a great week.